Shabbat Shalom from Under the Dome. I think, don't quote me on this, I think this is episode 25 of the Diaspora of Yashpiral, either 25 or 26. But we are finishing up Yaakov, the Hebrew Epistle of James. And this is a big transition for us tonight because when we started the Diaspora of Yashpiral last November, it was probably like the first week of November, we started uh, with the Hebrew Gospel of Yochanan or John, and the original discussions we had is that we were going to do, a, we were going to get to the Aramaic Targum. That was our plan all along. And uh, when we started John, we we did that first because you know nobody had touched that book yet, and I thought that'd be a great way to get credibility as a group. We had no idea that they were going to release uh, Revelation, uh, Hebrew Revelation, as well as as Yaakov and Yehuda, James and Jude. And so obviously, for those of you who, who who ah, blah blah blah? Who were here? Uh, we cover all those books, and and it's been all he, discussion on Hebrew texts up to this point. And we are switching gears tonight. We're finishing up Yaakov, and we will be beginning a long series on an Aramaic text. So that's really exciting, especially here at the Unexpected Cosmology. We like to look at a lot of different books and just you know all over the place and search these things out. So with that. Rob, I think you had volunteered to open us with in prayer tonight. Yes. Dear Heavenly Father, we give thanks and praise to your great and mighty name. Father, may you please continue working in our lives that we can be and will be servants to you. May we remain obedient, have the fortitude and the power to continue doing the kingdom's work. Father, we pray for wisdom. We pray for strength. We pray that tonight we will also learn more of your words and have great discussions in love and humility in reading these writings and discerning into them, Father. May your blessings be with all that listen and may your spirit move within us. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you, Rob. I'm going to begin reading tonight. Now, before I do so, uh, I, we've got tons of things to cover tonight, so I probably shouldn't be uh, talking much more, but I did want to give a little bit about my week. I was really happy this last week to be able to meet with a very old friend of mine, Adam Fink. Uh, Adam and I probably go back together. I've probably known him longer than anybody else in the true of the world. I mean, we go back a very long ways. For anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, his YouTube channel is Parable of the Vineyard. He has a very large ministry, particularly here in Missouri, where I'm currently at. And um, it's, we sat down at a table together. It was actually a, a restaurant called Piccolo. That's my uh, commercial for the night. So if anybody is in the Nixa Springfield area, be sure to check out Piccolo. No, I was not paid to say that. And uh, I actually met Rob and Michael there a couple months ago at Piccolo. That was a really good dinner. And Adam and I sat down and it occurred to us really quickly. It was almost like sad. It occurred to us that we have not seen each other in person for a year and a half. And the last time we were together was a very somber trip because we had to drive down to Florida uh, together to uh, have a meeting with Justin Best back then of Christian Truthers. And, um, and the, you know, the last several months, 
has been, you know, truthfully has been very strained between Adam and I. We've had some very heated conversations over the phone. Uh, we have not been seeing eye to eye on a lot of things. But it was just very, it was, it felt so good to get back with him. And it was the most pleasant conversation. We just, we, we sat there and talked for three hours and eventually we realized, oh my goodness, uh, I, they're closing shop. We got to leave. Same thing happened when I was there with Rob and Michael and they were like, you know, we were like the last ones in the restaurant. We had to leave. But, um, you know, we talked about just everything, everything from Sabbath to Paul to the millennial kingdom to, you know, just across the board. And we were just in agreement on almost everything and, you know, things we weren't on, on agreement with. We just were just very, it was just a great conversation. And um, so y'all blessed for that. It felt great to reconnect uh, with an old friend, especially since, you know, I've been very um, kind of kept to myself out here. I haven't really visited people. I've become much more of a solitary individual and uh, I miss a lot of those friendships that I used to have. So praise out for that. All right, I'm going to open up reading tonight from, we're on the last chapter, and then I'll give Michael the first commentary. And of course, if he wants to say anything about his week, he is free to do so. I hope everyone's had a good restful Sabbath. Let's begin. Yaakov, Hebrew James, chapter five. And now, O rich ones, cry out and weep about the evil that will come upon you. Your riches are rotten, and your clothes became food as for the moth. And your silver and your gold will rust, and this will be a witness against you, and it will eat your flesh as fire does, for you will take riches in the last days. Look, the payment of the laborers that remains with you overnight cries out before me, and their outcries have come before the ears of Ha'adon Sevaot. And you have had the desires of this world and they rejoiced at the sound of a flute. And you declared your righteous guilty and killed him, and he did not protest against you. Therefore, beloved brothers, you must have hope because of the future coming of Ha'adon. See, the owner of the field waits for the fruits of the earth, and his hope is on the early rain and the later rain. And also you, make your heart strong, for the future coming of Ha'adon is near. Do not sigh against one another, beloved brothers, that you do not come under control of a snare, for the judge is standing before the door. Beloved brothers, take as a parable for yourselves the sufferings and the endurance of the prophets who spoke to you in the name of Ha'adon. Look, we command those who endure, for you have heard of the endurance of Yov, or Yav, that's, that's Job, if anyone's curious. And you have seen the end goal of Ha'adon, for Ha'adon is an L of mercies and great of steadfast love. But first of all, beloved brothers, you must not swear, not by the heavens or by the earth or by any oath, but let your words be yes, yes, and no, no, in order that you do not stumble. And if one among you endures something, he must pray. And if one among you is with goodness of heart, that one must sing psalms. And if one is sick, he must call the elders of the assembly to him. And if they must do a prayer for him and anoint him with oil in the name of Ha'adon. And the prayer of the faith will support the sick one. And Ha'adon will raise him up. And if he had sinned, he will forgive him the sins. And let them confess their sins one to another. And let everyone do a prayer for his fellow. For Yahuwah is close to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. 
And also Eliyahu the prophet was a man just like us. And he did a prayer that rain should not come. And rain did not come on the land three and a half full years. And afterwards he did a prayer that rain should come. So the heavens gave their waters and the earth her fruits. Brothers, if one among you goes from the good way to the evil and someone restrains him, know that whoever turns him back from his wickedness, he will deliver a life from the death and make atonement for many sins. Thus concludes the book of Yaakov. Over to you, Michael. All right. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Thank you. Uh, so great to hear that you met with Adam. Love, love brother Adam. Um, okay, so don't have a lot on James, as Noel mentioned in his intro. We could probably go for three hours on Genesis 1, but uh, I do have some good stuff, though. So I'm going to start on number three. So, you know, it starts off by talking about rich people, uh, rich people. And but I just want to read number three um, to focus on that. So I'm going to read both. Um, Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. And uh, in the Greek, or in the Hebrew, it says, And your silver and your gold will rust, and this will be a witness against you. And it will eat your flesh as fire does, for you will take riches in the last days. All right, so starting off with some cross-references, but I think it's going to help explain a few things. It's, it's going to explain, I think, some definitions, and also, I, I think it's explaining a possible 70 AD. So let me get started here. So Matthew 23 we're going to be talking about the gold first. So where it says your gold and silver is cankered. So Matthew 23, 16. <clears throat> Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? So in James, your gold is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness. Is that foreshadowing the second temple destruction? I don't know. It seems it's talking about the blind guides in the temple during Yeshua's time in the Matthew verse. And then in James, it's saying they'll be destroyed. And they'll be talking about more of that and linking it to that. So the next one is Revelation 19.7. And we're going to focus on the flesh. So in the, in the Greek, it says, And shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Flesh and fire. So Revelation 19.17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, come assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty ones, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. So James seems to be talking about this, in my opinion, James seems to be talking about this revelation passage, symbolically eating the flesh with fire. Inter interesting. Again, again, another possible second temple era. Um, if James is written right before, you know, all this kicks off. Um, and it, as 3 says, it's for the last days. Um, <clears throat> Matthew 6, 19. Do not store or heat, as in the Greek, same word. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy. This seems like it's, he's talking exactly about this. <clears throat> and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, whether where ne neither moth nor rust destroyed, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Matthew says, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth, while James says the rich people heaped up treasures for the last days. So to summarize these three cross-references with James's, again, my opinion, and I could be totally wrong, it's indicating somewhat of a 70 AD temple destruction, these rich people in, you know, 
in, in the temple with their gold. Um, yet Revelation says, you know, they eat the flesh. That's what James says in the last days. Uh, Matthew says, do not store up treasures for yourself. He's saying the rich have stored up treasures for themselves for the last days, not from heaven. What do you guys think? <clears throat> All right, the next part, number four. I'm going to read both here. So, behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth. And the Hebrew, it says, look, the payment of the laborers that remains with you overnight cries out for me, and their outcries have come before the ears of Ahadon Sabaoth. So I just want to highlight the differences. Uh, who have reaped down your fields is in the Greek, and that remains with you overnight. In the Hebrew, a little bit different. And I want to talk about, in my opinion, the Hebrew is talking about the law in the Torah of paying your laborers daily. So they're both talking about payment of laborers. Greek just says, who have reaped down your fields. Has, has nothing to do with the Torah law itself. In the Hebrew, it says, that remains with you overnight. So there's two passages that go along with that. Leviticus 19.13 says, you should not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. <clears throat> kind of think, thinking that's what it's saying here. And the Greek kind of takes it away. Deuteronomy 24, 14. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land, in your towns. You shall give him wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he will not cry against you to the Lord. And it, it became sin in you. So again, I think the Hebrew does a way better job, way better job. It actually goes back to the actual Torah law. And I asked the question, should we be doing this today? And if so, how? You know, if we hire somebody, do we pay them that day? I don't know. Um, let's see. I got one more and I'll hand off to Noel, but this is a long one. So number seven, read the Greek. Uh, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. So this immediately... I saw the husbandman, and it immediately took me to John 15. We covered that, you know, a few months back. Um, but in there, it's, he's called the vine dresser. So John 15, 1, I am the true vine, Yeshua, and my father is the vine dresser. Same word as husbandman. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them in the fire, and they are burned. Another fire reference. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove, prove, to be my disciple. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. There it is. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Finally, these things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. So again, I think that's a great cross-reference. James talks about the husband and husbandman or vine dressers waiting for the precious fruit of the earth, and long has patience for it until he receives both rains. I'm going to talk about the rain in a little bit, but that's, in my opinion, that's the same thing. John and James talking about the same thing. <clears throat> okay, so why a vine rather than any other plants? So 
In the Old Testament, the imagery of a grapevine is used to describe Israel. But it does not just designate Israel as a nation. It describes Israel and its relationship to the Most High. For example, Psalms 88, 888. Israel is described as a vine that Yah brought out of Egypt and planted in the land of promise. In verse 15 of the same chapter, the nation is then compared to a vineyard belonging to Yah. In Isaiah 5, the nation is described as the vineyard of the Lord of hosts and the men of Judah as his pleasant plant. But if you do not bear fruit, but in Isaiah, the nation is guilty and unfruitful. It literally says that, unfruitful. Facing judgment. And, and, and finally, in Jeremiah 2, 21, God says the nation and says that he planted them a noble vine, but they had turned from him and became a degenerate plant of alien vine. Again, I think it, it's a great analogy, and it's showing you that we've got to remain fruitful. And finally, <clears throat> before hanging up, and all, I want to talk about some passages talking about the early and latter rain. These are just cross-references. Deuteronomy 11, it says, but it talks about, you know, um, the old path, like going back to living off the land. So it shall come about if you listen obediently and obey my commands, which I am commanding you today, to love your, the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and soul, that he will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your new oil. <clears throat> Jeremiah 5 says, but this people has been stubborn and a rebellious heart. Heart. They have turned aside and departed. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear God, who give its, its rain in its season, both the autumn and spring rain, who keeps for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, your sins, and your sins have withheld good from you. And finally, Joel 2. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. And he has poured down you the rain, the early and latter rain was before. And beforehand, enough to know, I know me and Rob, <clears throat> when we were just coming into the possible millennial rain context, we, we immediately kind of went to this and kind of thought, you know, the latter rains for us. I don't know. I mean, you can make it many ways. You can make it <clears throat> pre and post trips, so way back then, or the earlier rain, 144, and then, you know, post mill. I don't know. I'm still studying it out, but <clears throat> I will hand it off to Nolan. That was some really excellent commentary, Michael. I remember a, f a few years back when Rob, Michael, and I are getting together, you know, kind of talking about Yaakov, and we were reading over chapter one and two. I remember Michael pointedly stated that this is a really difficult study because Yaakov is so straightforward. Uh, and in, and indeed it is. I mean, it's it's so straightforward that there's a reason why this book, I think, is has been disliked so much throughout the history of the, of the church, because you can't you can't really twist this into something that is lawless. Like anybody who reads this book, it is so obvious and straightforward that the Torah abides. And I say all this because clearly uh, I know that when I struggle uh, really struggle with commentary or whatever, like, and I, and I, I embrace that struggle. I produce some of my best stuff. And so clearly Michael, you were, uh, you put out some really good content there. So I know you were, that the struggle was real and you, you overcame it. Um, he covered a lot of, <laughs> I say that cause he stole a lot of thunder. He said, he said a lot that I wanted to cover. So I'll just kind of go over a couple points. Uh, my commentary probably will not be as long for that reason. And that's okay. Cause we got a lot to cover tonight elsewhere. Uh, 
it, it seems when I was reading chapter five, like his attention was turned to two types of people. One is that he's addressing the rich people, and then his attention is returns back to the set apart, who are the people it seems that, you know, I can't really figure out who he's writing it to. It seems like he's writing to the set apart, but he goes back and forth throughout this whole letter at, addressing these two types of people. Now, I think that Michael's theory is is spot on about the coming 70 AD crisis. Uh, I mean, that's pretty obvious. I mean, he he didn't survive it. He died. He died in, um, I don't know what year it was. It was like uh, 66, 67, right around then. Uh, so if we're looking at like a tribulation, he didn't survive it. But what's interesting about Yaakov, and I should have mentioned this in the first two weeks, is that I am fully convinced that he was, uh, I have to be careful saying this, but it's almost like, you know, when we talk about, you know, popes succeeding popes, that that Yaakov succeeded uh, Yahusha the Messiah as the leader of the church, certainly the Jerusalem church. Uh, and every single time we read anything to do with Yaakov, like whether it's um, uh, the Nazarene Acts is a good one, a good example. He is always in the temple raising hell. He's like he's he's always there preaching to the crowds. And what you gather is that he had a very large um, I, fan base is the wrong way to put it, but attention from the crowds. They really loved James Yaakov. He was loved by the people and the ruling elite did not love him. And the reason he survived for the 35, 36 years after Messiah, however long he survived was probably because they didn't want another repeat situation with Messiah. Like I think Yaakov was too powerful, almost too, too off. And finally they were able to do it. And so here he's, at the very first few verses, he appears to be talking to, yeah, the this elite crowd. It was uh, John here pointed out that we know that when the Romans seized the city, they they had gold and they had people, and you can't eat the gold. I know this is kind of a, a disgusting thought, but they ate people. Uh, it got pretty morbid for them, and their gold was worthless at the end. So there's something very prophetic about what he's talking about here. Uh, also, one thing Michael covered too is, is Yaakov chapter 5, verse 4, which talks about the payment of the labors that remains with you overnight cries out before me. So this is kind of another in-your-face passage because, again, He's saying that the Torah abides like this is a law that you are supposed to pay a laborer that day. And if you do not, their cries go to who? Say Yahuwah ha or Hadon Sivaot, uh, um, Yahuwah of host, I would I would say of host. Uh, it goes up to heaven and he hears about it. And so it's like apparently Yaakov didn't get the memo that. Uh, Leviticus specifically was done away with. Usually when people say the law was done away with, they target Leviticus, that it's a series of, of um, you know, uh, priestly uh, spiritual laws or whatever. So uh, let's see, what else do I have here? Oh, and this is a, this is a good one. In Yaakov 5.5, you feel notice the difference here. Let me see if I can read it, uh, pull it back up. In the Greek, it says this, ye have lived in pleasure on the earth, and been wanton, that makes me actually hungry, uh, wanton, you have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. And so he's talking about the day of slaughter that's quickly approaching. We don't know what year this was written in. I gather it was pretty close to the end. I think that the, you know, uh, 
the horizon seemed pretty clear. They knew it was coming. And so he's telling him, like, you guys are getting fat, lazy, you know, indulging your riches and the slaughters upon us. Well, here's what it says in the, the Hebrew. And you've had the desires of the world, and they rejoice at the sound of a flute. So that's interesting, the, the passage of the flutes. That's not in the Greek. When I think of a flute, um, I think of, I don't know if this is an unfair comparison, but I think of Pan, you know, the, the sex uh, uh, god, the old fawn, uh, who is actually Ham, by the way, the son of Noah, but that's a whole different subject. Anyway, he's dancing along with this flute, and he's seducing little boys or girls or whatever, you know, people off into the woods. Uh, that's what, if you recall, in uh, Chronicles of Narnia, that's what Mr. Tumnus did with Lucy with the flute. It's, a, it's an idea of seduction, and that's ex exactly what Yaakov is getting at here. Now, he's actually quoting from the Book of Job. He quotes from the Book of Job all throughout... Uh, if somebody could turn off, uh, if any other admins can turn off the speakers for me, that'd be great. He actually quotes from the book of Job consistently through here. And here's what Job has to say. This comes from Job 21 verses 7 through 19. Now I could have read the whole chapter, but I decided just to kind of slice it up a little bit. And this is uh, Job speaking just for context. Wherefore do the wicked live, become old, yea, are mighty in power? Their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, neither is the rod of Elohim upon them. Their bowl gandereth and faileth not. Their cow calveth and casteth not her calf. They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. Therefore, they say unto Elohim, depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? Lo, their good is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How oft is the candle of the wicked put out? How oft cometh their destruction upon them? Elohim disturbeth sorrows in his anger. They are as stubble before the wind and as chaff that the storm carrieth away. Elohim layeth up his iniquity for his children. He rewardeth him, and he shall know it. Now that I think about it, now, just so you guys know, he is quoting this passage. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, <laughs> I read from one that doesn't say the flute, but it is there. I know it is there. I have read it in other translations. And for whatever the reason, they did a little switcheroo here. But the, the whole idea is that it appears as though the wicked, they live in peace and, you know, safe. You know, you think about like, you know, the rich people live on these mountains and high security homes, right? And they're not broken into and they don't have all the, you know, concerns about the, the poorer folk down in the village, right? Uh, but, you know, their their day is swiftly coming. You guys know this. And, uh, and yeah, who is going to reward the righteous in the end? So that's there. All right. See, so what else do I have here? Okay. So the only other thing I really wanted to address is that Michael hasn't already addressed is in, in verses seven through eight and also nine. And I'll go ahead and read these again. I thought this was really interesting because this does play into the 70 AD timeline and you'll, you'll, you'll see why. Therefore, beloved brothers, you must have hope because of the future coming of Ha Adon. See, the owner of the field waits for the fruits of the earth and his hope is on the early rain and the later rain. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. 
And also you make your heart strong for the future coming of Ha'adon is near. Do not sigh against one another, beloved brothers, that you do not come under control of a snare, for the judge is standing before the door. Now, I have pointed out uh, multiple times that these uh, disciples of Yahushua, the apostles, that generation, they all addressed his coming as happening to them, to their generation. They all believed it was going to happen to them. Now, maybe they believed falsely, in vain, or they gave uh, proper testimony to it. I'm, of course, of the mind that they gave the proper testimony and that he did come swiftly to that generation. Uh, the idea that the judge is standing before the door, it would be really odd if he was standing before the door 2,000 years ago and he has yet to knock 2,000. I mean, if I think, of, like, somebody, you know, um, I, I order groceries. You know, I order Instacart. I watch them pull up. And then I watch them walk up to the front porch with the groceries. And if I were to say to my wife, they stand at the door... I would expect to hear the doorbell ring or the knock-knock within a few minutes. Not, you know, not for my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren. Get my point? Now, when it comes to the... I think that's where the, uh, the latter reigns and the... Let me read this again. The, the early reigns and the, la the latter reigns. Personally, I think the early reigns are referring to that generation. That those who were fruitful, who had their hope, on Yahusha, they were the early rain. He came back for them. Keep in mind that the farmer is waiting for two fruits to uh, develop here. So there was the early rain, and then there was a later rain. Now, from the same, if we're looking at the same analogy, we are, uh, whatever generation is the in generation, whether it's ours or the next or the next to come, I really think it's the next generation. I, I personally think that we are the wilderness generation that's going to die off. Most of us, uh, we're raised in a life of a lot of sin, uh, a rebellion. We've come around to the truth here later in life, and we are hopefully raising a generation of children that will cross over into the land. That's my view. Um, and so hopefully we are raising our children to be the ones to cross over the River Jordan. Uh, but the later rain, I think in this context, would have, you know, according to my timeline, would have been 500 years later. Uh, there was the early rain, the later rain. And so those who weren't there in 70 AD who came later, they had their next hope in the next, you know, the next and the next and the next. We go through all these resets. So with that, I'm going to hand it back over to Michael. Good stuff, Noah. Um, the understanding about before the door, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you're right in that. And that would be, it's very interesting. I've heard that before about the children or raising of the children to enter the promised land because that's, you know, if things are cyclical, that's kind of seems what's happening people raising whole families in torix instead of the black sheep like i'm used to i'm a black sheep in my family um okay so continuing in james i did a good job on job i'm going to read more about job but i'm going to read the greek first on number 11 it says behold we count them happy which endure ye have heard of the patience of job and have seen the end of the lord that the lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy so um why was job noted for his patience um it is because, as, as the book reveals, he suffered many great misfortunes without ever losing the sense of the Most High's goodness and care. So he was once a prosperous and happy man, suffered the loss of just about everything he possessed. His flocks, his herds, even members of his family all perished in a series of terrible disasters. He became ill himself and like brewed over his sufferings. So 
And, you know, Ronit or Pan can correct me if I'm wrong, but in Hebrew, to be patient means to suffer rather than to wait without complaining, as it does today. So the phrase, the patience of Job, meant the sufferings of Job. You know, it, you know it's probably has altered its meaning in the course of the centuries. Um, and then finally on Job, um, so he was patient in the sense that he suffered greatly, but he cried out bitterly against his misfortunes. So mu much of the book consists of his conversations as to why a good person such as he was should have to suffer so grievously. Um, and then I just want to quote the Messiah that says, you know, those who endure to the end will be saved. You have to go through tribulation. And I remember <clears throat> either James 1, 2 or 3, 4, you know, it literally said, um, uh, you will go through tribulation, not you might. <clears throat> Number 13, I'm going to read both. It says, um, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. And then in the Hebrew, it says, if any among you endure something, he must pray. And if anyone among you is goodness with heart, that one must sing psalms. I thought it was cool. It said must, must sing psalms. I know I don't sing psalms, <laughs> so I need to start doing that. I know I do it maybe on Shabbat when other people do it, but maybe I need to start doing that. And this will be my only Paul quote. So this this on James. So Ephesians 5, 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Uh, number 16, I'm going to read both. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man may avail it much. And in the Hebrew it says, and let them confess their sins to one another. And let everyone do a prayer for his fellow, for Yahweh is close to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. I think Rob mentioned something like that, come to him in spirit and truth. Um, again, I just want to highlight the difference. In the Greek, it doesn't even talk about that. So in the Hebrew, it says, for Yahweh is close to all who call upon him, and to all who call upon him in truth. Way different than Greek. So um, let me try to do this. So, Pray for one another for his fellow that he may be healed. So the Greek doesn't say they, or the Hebrew doesn't say they may be healed. And then it, the Greek, it says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What is that? What is that? And the Hebrew is very straightforward. Um, for Yahweh is close to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. What is the truth? Torah. Okay. Um, 17 and 18. So when I don't have stuff, <laughs> if you guys notice the trend here, I kind of go back to the basics and... So 17 talks about Elias or Eliyahu. So I'm going to talk about a little bit of Eliyahu. So Eliyahu, I'm going to read Hebrew this time. And Eliyahu, the prophet, was a man just like us. And he did a prayer that rain should not come. And rain did not come on the land. Three and a half years. And afterwards, he did a prayer that rain should come. So the heavens gave their waters and the earth her fruit. So <clears throat> a little bit about Eliyahu. His name in Hebrew means my God is Yahweh. And maybe a title applied to him because of his challenge to the worship of Baal. So it's a little summary on Elijah. <clears throat> Yah sent Elijah to King Ahab <clears throat> and told him that it would not rain anymore until he, Elijah, gave the word. During this drought, Elijah was fed by a raven who brought him food. And later on, by a, by a widow woman who had almost no food, but whose food supply miraculously never ran out. After three years of no rain, Yah sent Elijah back to King Ahab. Ahab. Elijah challenged King Ahab to bring all who, who had been worshiping the idol by all to meet him on Mount Carmel. When they met together, Elijah told them to kill two bulls and lay them on two stone altars. <coughs> Elijah stated that whoever was the true God 
will consume his bow with fire. The worshippers of Baal started calling out to their god. After hours of shouting and dancing and cutting themselves to appease their god, Elijah called the people to himself. Elijah told them to pour water on top of Yah's bowl, making it soaking wet and forming a large puddle around it. Elijah prayed, and Yah brought down fire from heaven, consuming not only the bowl, but also the wood, the stones, and the dirt around it. The people of Israel turned back to the Most High, and it began with rain. And during our Revelation you know, passage, what does the two witnesses do? And that's why some people say it's Elijah, because they bring fire down from heaven. And then finally, <coughs> number 19 and 20, I'll read both. It says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. And in the Hebrew it says, Brother, brothers, if any among you goes from the good way to the evil, and someone restrains him, Know that whosoever turns him back from the wickedness, he will deliver a life from the death and make atonement for many sins. What? Okay, so the difference is err from the truth and one convert him in the Greek. Um, to go and goes from the good way to the evil way. It goes from the good way to the evil and someone restrains him. That's what the Hebrew says about that. In the Greek it says, shall save a soul from death. In Hebrew it says, he will deliver a life from death. <clears throat> and then finally, uh, the Greek, uh, it says, hide a multitude of sins. While in Hebrew, it says, make atonement for many sins. So then some cross-reference is talking about that. It says, Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. This same proverb is quoted in 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. So in this context... The proverb emphasizes that love is expressed through forgiveness of sins. So if we forgive others who sin against us, you're covering multitude of sins. <coughs> and then finally, Luke 8, 16. Now no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed. But he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. That's the same word. Covers transgression is... is when your lamp, what are you doing with your lamp? Are you covering it? Are you putting it underneath? Or are you leaving it open? And I thought it was interesting. So is this saying we can atone for sins like Yeshua through love? You know, you go into a regular church just to even talk about that. That's kind of blasphemy. But I don't know. What do you guys think? It, says, it literally says if you turn one back from their wickedness, you can make atonement for many sins. Praise God if that's true. Like we're supposed to become a beast. It's saying we can atone for sins like Yeshua through love. I don't know. Focus on love, guys. Focus on love and fruit. Hand it off to Nolan. That's a, I think that's all I wanted to cover on this chapter. And Michael, did you want to finish up before? I wanted to go ahead and, and open this up to the those listening in right now before we move on to the Targum, because that's going to be really meaty as well. So, Michael, did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I'm done. <clears throat> All right, I'm opening this up to the group for the next 10 minutes or so. Does anyone have anything they wanted to add on Chapter 5? Or really, Yaakov as a whole, thematically, something you saw in here that you wanted to address? I know it's been a while, too, so hopefully you guys remember the first four chapters. Rob, I know you wanted to say something. Yeah, um... I'm surprised you guys didn't expound any further on the uh, 
uh, chat uh, verse 15 and the prayer of the faith will support the sick one where in the Greek it says save the sick one so we've we've read this before where the elders of the church will come and anoint him and that their faith the prayer of faith shall save the sick but we see here it says the prayer of the faith will support the sick one so that doesn't necessarily say that person will be uh, the sickness will be gone or saved but it'll support them to get them through it so uh whether whether they are completely healed or not so i thought that was interesting in the, in the differences between those two and also that it is advised or at least uh for people to go to says he must call the elders of the assembly to him and they must do a prayer for him and anoint him with oil in the name of Adon. So I think it's very interesting that uh, those who are sick within our groups uh, coming to the elders and having them pray over them and anointing them so that their faith will bring healing uh, because of the elders uh, coming and doing so. So I just wanted to add that part of it. I thought that was a very interesting piece. And and then verse 16 says, uh, and let them confess their sins to one another and let everyone do a prayer for his fellow, as Michael was reading. And, and then this part, for Yahweh is close to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. So he's given, a de defining this, not just that all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. So I think that's another piece that is 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 relative uh, that we must do do this in spirit and truth, and we've gone through that in John defining spirit and truth, uh, the way truth and life. I mean, we've gone through quite a bit of these these word definitions uh, when Yeshua was talking and or John or James. So I just wanted to point that piece out, uh, something that that uh, uh, wanted. One more ex expounding on. I'm glad you pointed that out, Rob. I actually really am. You know, I've really struggled with this idea. We've I've talked about this often over the last couple of years in this group. Um, this idea of the uh, healing ministries, where all you have to do is have this faith, and if you have faith, you will be healed of anything. And if you were not healed, it was proof that you didn't have enough faith and what you needed is more faith and you failed the test of faith and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and this has caused many people, I've, t I've spoken to people in this group, uh, one in particular who came out of a church where they tried to, the pastor and the elders tried to heal a man of cancer. And I think it was cancer or something like that. And he died. And then they came up afterwards and gave a big speech saying it was because the church lacked faith that he died. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't the pastor of the elders' fault because they did their part, but it was a lack of faith. And this get this opens up a whole, you know, a whole different paradigm of discussion. I will say really quickly that this last week when I uh, I started out talking about Adam Fink, and I guess good to bring this back in now, uh, Adam knew that I have been sick for four to five weeks now. I mean, it, it was just ridiculous things that were I was affected with. Um, and 
So I, you know, was talking to him about it and he's, and he asked if I wanted to be anointed with oil and prayed over. And I said, yeah. Um, and he, it was my first time in my life ever being oiled up. I've never had, you know, I've never been anointed with oil before over any kind of sickness or something like that. And he prayed and to Yahuwah. And, um, it was really interesting because I was still sick afterwards. Uh, I have still been struggling with some, you know, internal, you know, uh, pains and so on and so forth. But it, it, it was, it was, there was a definite paradigm shift there where uh, I really, I have really felt uh, Yahuwah with me. I, I don't, I don't know how else to explain that. And so I just, the way you explained that I, I thought was really good. I've, I've, you know, really struggled with this idea very, um, often of just, you know, all you have to do is just believe and, you know, you demand it, you demand that people are well, and Yah's going to bless that and accept that. And I don't think that's the way it really works. So, um, excellent. Does anyone else have any thoughts? Rob, I don't know if you were done yet. I didn't want to cut you off. You know, I'll add to that is that, you know, these infirmities that come upon us, uh, I always see them as purpose and, and, and there's, there's always purpose. Um, uh, and, uh, so it, it makes me search myself. Like I've been sick too. So I've been searching myself and seeing what attention do I need to bring to myself in, in whatever areas, um, uh, in, in, in my walk. And so same thing that, uh, when, when you seek the healing, when one person seeks the healing, uh, it, it's, and, and I think I just read it. It's, uh, let's see here. Uh, and the prayer of the faith will support the sick one and had on, you know, Yeshua will raise him up. And if he has sinned, he will forgive him the sin. So that's, this verse supports that, that thought I have is, is that we research ourselves to see if there is, is some sin that we may have uh, for healing of our, of our, you know, for, for forgiveness and that this, Sickness has caused us to uh, uh, look inwardly to ourselves and, and get that support of healing uh, from an elder or from others and praying for them. So, I mean, that's kind of how I, I, I envision when I read these, these scriptures and when it's tied into any, any sickness and healing, that the healing comes. But it does, doesn't always come for everybody. Like you mentioned that the person died from cancer and because, you know, they say that it wasn't, you know, his faith or the church's faith or whoever's faith, but all of these things happen for a reason. And it's for us. It's all, I think it's always for us to uh, examine ourselves and what's going on because in these fleshly bodies, as we are walking around, we're collecting all kinds of toxins in this world, whether uh, naturally or being cursed by them uh, other, in, by other means. And the sickness process is a purging of our physical, and we must go through that. And so going through that, we need to focus and look at the spiritual side, too, because there's the spiritual curses and so forth that, you know, the enemies are putting upon us. So those, it's, a, it's like a bifold reminder, the physical, to examine ourselves in the spiritual. So I think that's all. I just wanted to add a little bit more to that. Excellent. Thanks. Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> you know, you know, Yah says that, you know, 
sin will go through a certain amount of generations, right? Be passed down. I, I remember Skiba talking about um, a doctor that I think he went to or he heard about that was doing studies and would, would go to like jails and would take the DNA of different people and what they were charged with. And like, I don't know if this is true, but you know, the murderers had certain spots in their DNA at the, at the exact same spot and then others, alcoholics and then others. I thought that was cool. And then I, I know from, you know, I, st I study a little bit in like nutritional deficiencies and I know that's passed down for sure. I have all the same deficiencies that my family has with my parents. So that's what I want to say on that. Yeah. And part of that repentance process, um, and we see the evidence out there that doing so, you can change your own DNA. I mean, you're, you, the, the physical, physical can be changed by the mental. Uh, and that's where the whole faith thing comes in. You believe you, you had a change of mind, repentance. Uh, you have broken yourself free from these generational curses. You have done all of the, this process. It will change your DNA. I, I do believe that. That was good stuff. Does anyone else in the room? Oh, I, I, I unmuted uh, David Aliyahu. He wanted to speak uh, real quick, I think. I can hear you. But pause for a second or two, and then I started rejoicing, thinking that it was Joshua and Caleb who got to enter into the uh, promised land, uh, which is a type and shadow, I believe, also of the time that we're living in, too. Now, in regarding the wilderness, they went through 42 camps. So if we kind of overlay that on our personal experience today and ask ourselves have we gone through or are we going through these 42 camps each one of these camps was to teach a spiritual lesson uh, that would have prepared them to enter into the covenant land so i took a, a little bit of of uh, rejoicing and thinking on these things today for um uh, I see so much of the Bible. You mentioned cyclical. I, I prefer to use the words uh, type and shadow uh, for us today. And, and in reading these texts, whether it's in James or in the covenant writings or in the Tanakh uh, Torah, that we uh, are well served if we put ourselves in the scriptures and to see where these things apply to us. Can we overlay? each and every scripture onto our life today. And that serves well, I think, to uh, to bring peace and shalom into our lives as we journey through this experience. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate and just let everyone know, I should say this every time, that I am not a crystal ball. I am not prophesying, nor, you know, I don't have a word from the Lord um, I don't know when he's, when this is all going down. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I really don't know. Um, you know, what I had to say was just, I think it's a sentiment, sentiment of a lot of people who kind of realize that, uh, that, you know, 
there's a certain entitlement out there that people kind of have this idea that, you know, they deserve to, 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 you know, he's coming back for them and there'll be, you know, never mind the, all the other people in history, they're the generation. And, you know, just looking at scripture and how divisive and troublesome, the really wicked the wilderness generation was. And you, you look at the many people that are coming to the father's ways, returning to his, the ancient path today. And there is the same sort of divisiveness and uh, worship of false gods and all sorts of things going on in there. And it's, it's everyone's at each other's throats. We have so much to learn. Uh, that's why just instinctually, I say instinctually, which I could be wrong. I really feel like it's uh, not going to be this generation, but I'm not the judge. Thank you. Uh, he can decide that for himself. So Thank you, um, it, if, if I can point out another type and shadow with this, we speak much here on this on this channel to uh they knew back then as you i believe it was you that opened up tonight and said that they knew that the yahushua was talking to them and that he would return quickly for them correct uh, could that be a type and shadow i certainly see it as today this is a restoration for us to even be coming together and talking about these things so is it a high probability possibility that Yahushua is telling us I'm coming back quickly. Okay. So let's, let's do, let's go with the type and shadow um, uh, comparison. So you have the, the 40 years in the wilderness. Now they, they left Egypt. They were supposed to enter the promised land within two years. The book of Exodus and Leviticus takes place in those two years. They, they cross the Red Sea. They go to Mount Sinai. They go to Mount Sinai to be instructed in his law and also to build the tabernacle. Once uh, they have a hiccup because of the golden calf and the Levitical priesthood is, is handicapped at that point. And Moshe has to personally, he's like, come on, guys. Now he has to personally cover all that by himself. Finally, they reinstitute the sons of Aaron. Even though after uh, Aaron's two sons, uh, they you know offer strange fire, they're offed, and so they're they're brought back and they're like, okay, we're gonna go into the promised land now. They send out the twelve spies. They're there for forty days. They come back. It all goes to hell because they give an evil report. Only two give a good report, and the people listen because of that. Yah's like, fine. You know what? Why don't you just wander for forty years? Forty years, of course, is a sign of judgment, right? Well, then you get to Yahusha. The Messiah comes in. And, of course, I know all this was prophesied that he would be killed. But let's just assume for the matter, uh, for a second, that the, peop the, the Yahudim accepted him as their king. They heralded him as their king. Would he have left and come back 40 years later? No. He would have ushered in the kingdom, I think, right then. Uh, because of the rejection, they went through 40 years. 40 years of judgments. And, of course, at the end of the 40 years... They're all uh, destroyed, uh, those who were still in rebellion, and uh, those who, you know, made it. So there is a type and shadow right there, the same thing. Today, I would, I would say, well, what's the 40 years? People tried that with Israel in 1948. That didn't work out. Um, what is the 40 years that we're measuring with this? And, you know, where's the prophet, so and so? So I don't know. I, they knew he was coming back in that generation because Yahushua physically, personally said, 
I am coming back for you and I'm going to take you to where I am. He didn't say he was going to set up his kingdom on the earth. He said, I'm going to take you to where I am. You know, and he said that over and over again personally to them. So they knew that he was coming for them. But we don't have a prophet today who is who has come and said, guess what, guys? Within 40 years, he's coming back for you, right? So we don't really, uh, we're kind of in this, this, um, this area where we don't have anything to really work with. I mean, even if you say, if, even for the people who say, no, no, revelation hasn't been filled yet. Well, if that's the case and 2000 years have gone by, who's to say it's to happen in our generation? Why not another thousand years from now? Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't mean to be despairing to anybody, but the thing is, is that either the Torah is a joy for us or it's not. If we don't have a joy in, in serving Yah and following his paths of righteousness, then we're going to fall away. We're not going to make it. Um, if it's, if we're just, we're just, if we're just wishing that he comes in the next couple of years to end it all because we're sick of our life. I don't know. I mean, you look at the, some of the patriarchs, uh, how long like Seth and uh, Enoch had to live amongst very evil times. You know, we just, we have to, we have to reckon with the fact that these are very evil times we live in and we're going to choose to live for Yah and be joyful in our service to the king and wait for his return, stand our ground until his return. Either we die first or he returns or we're, we're not going to make it. We're going to fall away. So um, that's just food for thought for everybody. Um, does anybody else before I really want to get on to the Genesis Targum, I'm really excited for this, but I want to give anybody else um, you know, speak now forever. Hold your peace. Do you guys have anything on the book of James that you want to add? Um, I had something and I missed Wait. the first 10 minutes cause I was asleep. I'm so, I have no idea what I missed, but, um, verse six of this, I, 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 you in the Greek, it says you have condemned and killed the just and he doth not resist you. I was always a little confused by that. So the Hebrew really clarified that for me because I realized it's talking about Yahusha, you know, and you declared the righteous guilty and killed him and he did not protest against you. That's clearly speaking of Yahusha. And I never realized that. And then the other thing that, that really jumped out besides the, the parts about, you know, prayers for the sick, that was really, really good. But another thing um, talks about, um, let me find it here real quick. Um, oh, verse um, 16, and, and let them confess their sins to one another in the Hebrew, and let everyone do a prayer for his fellow, for you who is close to all who call upon him and all who call upon him in truth. You know, that really... So many times, especially in Christian churches, that verse has been so abused because they've used it for leverage. You know, confess your faults to one to another and, and pray for one another. You know, you, you confess your faults and then somebody's beaten. In fact, some of us saw an example of this today. You know, somebody confessed a fault and they're beaten up for it. I don't think that's the intention of that verse whatsoever because, you know, in Christianity, you confess your, your faults and it was definitely used against me, but since I've been here, you know, confessing to certain people, things that I struggle with, you know, and getting support 
from somebody who doesn't struggle with that and can see clearly, you know, maybe some things that you ought to be doing or not doing. And, and, you know, they pray for you, they support you and they talk to you. And I think that that's the whole purpose of confessing your faults or your sins to each other is for strength and support because where you're weak in an area, your brother might not be, and, and they can help you out and support, you know, and, and I really just think that that verse is so underrated and that's about all I had to say about it. Good words. I was just, I was just saying that to my mods and admins today that uh, I have great admiration for somebody who can uh, come into a community and confess like, look, I'm really struggling, uh, you know, with such and such, or this has been a struggle of mine in the past. And um, I have, yeah, I have great admiration for that. That takes a lot of strength and it's just, yeah, it's not easy. And they know that they open themselves up to, to judgment. And so, yeah. Okay. Now, again, I want to move on to the Targum. Does anybody else have anything? Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. We are moving on. I'll call it referee. And thus concludes the book of Yaakov. Yeah,